When God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great grandsons, this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world's going to follow this king and he's going to bring peace and harmony and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards and it's going to be awesome. The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. And he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total chumps. They give in to the snake, they choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and following other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground and the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil and that it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, Judah, and Abraham. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us who are gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours and take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're not good enough for God to use you, right? You can admit it. It's all right. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not faithful enough. I'm sure you can all come up with additional reasons why you specifically are not worthy to be used by God for his purposes. And if you really think about it, for a lot of us, our family probably has a lot to do with it. Maybe you were raised by unfaithful people. Maybe you have children who have left the faith and you feel you failed them as a parent. Maybe your kids are still at home, but they're completely out of control and you don't really know what to do about it, but you feel you're failing as a parent right now. <clears throat> All of us, every last one of us, we are shaped by our families in ways that are profound and in ways that we don't always really understand. And if we take a minute to think about our faults and our failures, most of the time, we can usually connect those in some way to our family background. 
when I was uh, going through the process of being ordained, I had to take a psychological evaluation, which was totally useful and, and a good use of my time. Um, so I spent 20 minutes with this psychiatrist who, who in 20 minutes figured out that I had a deep-seated problem with authority. <laughs> you don't have to laugh at that already. That's not the funny part. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not making this next part up. In a 20-minute interview, he determined that and said it's most likely related to your relationship with your mother. Because um, right? it's always the mom's fault. <laughs> but there is some truth in that. We all have faults and failures or, or bad habits that are connected in some way to the family we grew up in. And as parents, we're all going to pass along something similar to our kids. I can't wait to see how we mess up our child. It's going to be great. But we all have that. It's universal. Now, I said last week that the world is broken. During the time of the prophets, the outlook was bleak. Because they could see, just like we can, that the world is broken. But it looked to them like God's plan to save it had failed. Because Israel was supposed to be the family through whom God would save the world. That was the whole point of being Israel. The whole point of Abraham's descendants being given the promised land was that their faithfulness to the covenant, their righteousness, the establishment of Israel as God's holy kingdom, that that would be God's light shining in the darkness. And their example, their prosperity as God's righteous family would inspire the nations to follow the God of Israel. And they failed. Utterly, catastrophically, they were never able to uphold the covenant. And, and very crucially, it was the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah who led those failures. David's descendants, who were supposed to lead the people by example with their faithfulness, rejected God's law, rejected righteousness altogether. And so the prophets of the Old Testament asked the same question that I'm betting a lot of us find ourselves asking today from time to time when we see the news. Who's going to lead us out of this mess? And see, they're thinking, if our family has failed, what is God going to do next? So God gives Isaiah this image of a shoot sprouting from the stump of a tree. Jesse was David's father, so this is the family tree of Jesus. And God cut it down. The tree is corrupt, it's sick, it's dying, and God removes the line of David from the throne of Israel. Most of the royal family is killed when Babylon captures Jerusalem. A few survive, but they are never going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem again. Even when the Jews very briefly win their independence from the Greeks before the Romans conquer them, that's the story of Hanukkah, by the way, it isn't David's descendants who sit on the throne. It's a totally different family, a different dynasty. Even when they win back their kingdom for a brief period, it isn't David's sons on the throne. So God's answer to that question, who's going to lead us out of this mess, is I'm going to surprise you. I'll cut off this family from the throne for now. But I have promised to give them that throne forever, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. 
someone will come forth from this bloodline, from this family. And he won't be what you expect. He will look like nothing but a shoot growing out of a tree stump. He'll come at a time when that royal bloodline is in its most forlorn condition, like a mighty tree that's been cut off from its roots. But he will grow. His roots will be strong and his branches will bear fruit. And most importantly, he will have God's spirit in him. He will have the wisdom and understanding that all his predecessors lacked. He will delight in God in a way that none of his predecessors could. And so he will lead God's kingdom. There's a reason he comes from the stump of Jesse and not David. Right? If you say David, everyone immediately thinks of the glory days of Israel. David was a mighty king. He's this fearsome warrior. He's a national hero. He is everything you would want in a king, aside from that one part with Bathsheba. Jesse was just his father. Before David was anointed, Jesse was a nobody. His family was just a family of shepherds living out in the countryside. And in fact, even after David's made king, we don't hear anything about Jesse or the rest of that family. They continue on in obscurity. We don't know anything about what happens to them after David's made king. And that's the point. That's why it's the stump of Jesse and not the stump of David. Because when God anointed David, he's just a scrawny little dude. He's thoroughly unimpressive. And after he was king, the rest of his family continued on in obscurity. And after the fall of Jerusalem, that family is still out there, reduced back to obscurity again. And it's in that state that God will once again anoint a king for his people. And he won't be an obvious choice. In fact, as we know, he's going to be an infant born to a poor couple in a small village surrounded by livestock. But his family has roots that go deep. This is the first day of Advent, which actually makes it the first day of the Christian year. And you may not realize it, but we do have our own special Christian calendar and the Christian year begins today. So, Happy New Year. I see no one brought me champagne, but that's all right. This is meant to be a, a season of anticipation. We prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ by, by waiting for it and building up to it. And we do this because the whole Christian year is organized around the life of Jesus. Because that helps us to orient ourselves in a fallen world. So the Israelites in the Old Testament, they're commanded to mark special days in their calendar with feasts and celebrations to remind them of all the things God has done for them in the past. We do the same thing. And every family has its own traditions. Every family has its own little holidays, right? Now, we all share in the big ones. All of our families will celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, etc. Uh, but most of our individual families, we also have smaller holidays that we share with just family and friends, right? Most couples celebrate their anniversary each year, right? Because it reminds you of the commitment you've made to each other, the love you share. Reminds them of all the time they've had together, good and bad. It grounds the relationship and it reminds them of what it takes to keep a marriage going. We celebrate birthdays because it reminds us that we are people worth celebrating. It reminds us to be thankful for another year of life and it reminds us that we might not have another one. Well, at least I will remind you of that if I come to your birthday party. I don't know. <clears throat> and each of our families has 
our own traditions around all the major holidays, right? Some of us have specific family recipes that have to be included in the meal or everyone loses their minds, right? Some of us have, <laughs> yeah, you're all laughing because you do it. Some of us have like a specific decoration that has to go up, right? Maybe you have to, there's one person who puts the, the star or the angel on top of the tree every year and if they don't get to do it, it's a nightmare. Um, that was never me. Um, I'm kind of weird because I grew up as a preacher's kid, right? So every year on Christmas Eve, I was in church the whole time. Um, and, and we would get there usually at like 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And my mom and I would come and we would bring like food and snacks and dinner for all the staff and volunteers who were going to be there because we would go till after midnight. So for as long as I can remember, every Christmas Eve, I'd be at the church from like 3 in the afternoon till after midnight. And that may sound not pleasant to you all. Um, and I could say why, but I have some great memories of that. I can remember one year we, we had set up a little room with all the food, and we put a TV in there, and we had Christmas movies playing on a loop. And so I got to spend the whole night, aside from the 11 o'clock service I went to, just kicking back and watching movies and eating you know, tamales and chili because that's what Jesus wants you to eat on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and it was a great night. And what happens now is that if I don't spend like eight to ten hours at church on Christmas Eve, it doesn't feel like Christmas, which is really weird. Uh, most of you have a very different experience, right? You want to come for like an hour and go home and not be back. But for me, if I'm not here the whole night, I'm like, this doesn't feel festive. We all have weird traditions. Some of you are absolute freaks and you run 5Ks on Thanksgiving. It's okay. I'll judge you, but Jesus won't. The point is, the point is, Every family does specific things for every holiday, and those traditions, they help orient us towards the things and the people we value the most. Whatever those traditions are, they help point you in the right direction. They give our lives structure and meaning, and that is true for the family of God as well. Because we are part of God's family now. We are included in the same family tree as Jesus. We're grafted on. And this is the time of year for the family of God to gather around the person of Jesus and his arrival on earth. Because on Christmas Day, we celebrate the day when the creator of the universe stepped into ordinary human lives with the message that the light is shining in the midst of the darkness. And that is a big enough deal that we ought to spend time anticipating it, preparing ourselves to celebrate. And so this whole season is all about anticipation. As much as I hated it as a kid, it was good that my mom put the, the presents out under the tree like the day after Thanksgiving. So I had to look at them and anticipate and learn to wait for good things. <coughs> but we're not just waiting to celebrate something that happened 2,000 years ago. We are waiting for the Lord to reveal himself to us in new and surprising ways. Jesus comes to us from a people, the people of Israel. And he comes to us from a place, the land of Israel. And he comes to us from the story of Israel's covenant with God. So Jesus has a people, a place, and a story just like we do. We all have a family we come from. We all have a hometown we grew up in. We all have a story. And knowing a person's family history, knowing their hometown, knowing their story, those things all illuminate that person and they explain that person. You understand a person far better when you know who they come from, 
where they come from, and what their story is. And on the flip side, if you don't know those things about them, you don't really know that person all that well. If we want to know Jesus, we have to know his family, we have to know his homeland, we have to know his story. And because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, we also know that we will find Jesus at work in our own family history, in our own homes, in our own stories. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look for transforming truths in Jesus' story, in his family history, in his land, knowing that if we do that, we will start to see them in our own stories, in our own families, in our own places. Because we can look at our own families and our own stories, and we can find the gifts God has given us along the way. We can see the ways he's worked in us and through us and in and through our families. We can look and we can see how God has brought redemption and restoration in our own stories and our own families. And we can draw on those roots as we go out into the world to do his work. Isaiah tells the the shoot coming from the family of Jesse. Matthew's gospel opens by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Both times, we see Jesus coming to us through a human family. God comes to us through that family. Jesus, Yeshua, which means God saves, and Emmanuel, God with us, comes to us through that family. So as we look at the family story of Jesus, we will begin to see him at work in our own family stories. So I'm giving you homework this week. As we begin this season of Advent, look back at your own family history. As far back as you have records, which I know for some of you might only be like 2009 when you joined Facebook. But some of you have records that go back a lot farther. Look at the people who have followed faithfully. Look at the people who have stumbled and fallen. How is that story, that history, your roots led you to the place you are in today? Think about your natural gifts, your appearance, the way you think, even the place you live. And try to name specific gifts that came to you through your family history. And then answer this question. How is God using you because of your family? Not in spite of your family, because that's where we all tend to go, right? That's our natural tendency. Yeah, well, my family messed up in this way, but I turned out okay anyway. But how is God using you?